Hey, good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Get in the Herd. My name is Nathan Mitchell, and I am Community Outreach and Advocacy Coordinator with the McShin Recovery Resource Foundation. I'm also the host of Get in the Herd, our, oh, what, every couple of days podcast. Um, so today, I have my co-host here, Alex Bond. Welcome to the show again, Alex. Good to see you. How's it going? Thank uh, you for having me. Um, for those of you who watch the show regularly, regularly, you know that Alex is our Tuesday and Friday host of Get in the Herd After Hours. After after hours um today our very very special guest i <laughs> gotta get him laughing right off the bat right our special I wanna, guest i want to be on the after hour show what happened there? <laughs> after, oh, hours. after hours <laughs> our, our special guest today is michael king Michael King is an advocate for um, individuals with substance use disorder, but more importantly, well, more importantly, I guess to me anyway, he's a mentor and a trainer of of, uh, of uh, community out outreach and advocacy guys. So he is with the communities part. Um, the communities project. I know I was going to stumble over that today. I'm sorry, Michael. Um, you're much more eloquent. Please tell us who you are. Why the heck do you think you're here today? Well, I'm here because Nathan asked me to be here, and I, I, I like to do whatever Nathan asked me to do because um, I always selfishly get some kind of a side benefit uh, when Nathan asked me to do stuff. But uh, you know, I'm Michael King. Uh, I'm the director and creator of the Communities Project, and we're a national initiative actually sponsored very happily by the McShin Foundation. And we, uh, our mission is to... Uh, save a million lives from substance use related deaths over the next two decades and to do that by investing in the leadership and organizing skills of the folks who are working on the front lines of the issue so people who are in long-term recovery from addiction people who are family advocates who are working in the areas of prevention or harm reduction or public health uh, if we invest in their leadership they're able to expand their capacity and as their capacity increases they're able to get out services more effectively they're able to run more effective advocacy campaigns and when that happens we end up saving more lives more importantly than any of that though i'm a person in long-term recovery which for me means i haven't had a drink of drug or placed a bet since february 16th of 2013. Excellent, excellent. I like your date too. My date is February eighteenth, so we're very close oh, there. I like that. I didn't know yeah. that. That's good. Yeah. February, folks. We, we we have a couple of years separating us though, but but I'm working on it one day at a time, right? Um, <laughs> now, my, Michael, I asked you here today. I can I can hold on. Let me let me adjust this here. Right? I asked you here today because um, we have a regular check in, you and I, and often it's a it's a phone call. Um, sometimes I'm running to the bathroom and I miss it, <laughs> but uh, we have a regular check in every two or three weeks, and we just see what's we catch up, see what's going on, and often it's you just asking me what the heck do I want to do, um, and or what is preventing me from doing the things that I want to do, and usually I kind of scratch my head and go, well, gee nothing um so it's it's really awesome to have somebody in my corner who i can rely on and call call upon to just sort of you know kick things off you know kick ideas off of um what do you see as your role um in the recovery space right now you you explained the organization um you explained what you're doing what do you see as your role um right now like right now as 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 we got this covid thing going on right now what are you doing and how are you doing it 
Well, so I don't think that kind of one thing that I kind of realized as COVID-19 started to kind of really, we all kind of started to realize what it was we were really dealing with here and understood the real gravity of the challenge that we faced. I had a day where I sat down and it kind of occurred to me that I wasn't um, going to be doing the same amount of in-person trainings that we usually do on an annual basis. Um, and yes, you're going to see cats behind me. They're uncontrollable. I, I take responsibility for them and any disturbance they cause. Um, you should, you should get somebody to sponsor your cats. What's that? Get somebody to sponsor the cats. You okay. can put I, I should. I should get a little, I should get a little uh, put them in little shirts, right? Like, yeah. Meow mix. That's funny. Meow yeah. mix. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but so it kind of, what I kind of realized was as much as I was sort of, uh, feeling kind of some grief, you know, frankly, over not being able to be in person uh, doing a lot of these trainings. What it was a reminder of for me was the fact that the COVID-19 situation was not going to have any impact on the commitment that I felt towards training folks in the field. It just meant that the vehicle through which we were going to do that was going to have to be uh, different. And I was able to sort of reframe it and see it as an opportunity that we could create, the Communities Project could create a, another uh, tool, if you will, to add to our repertoire and that we could develop virtual modules of the work that we were doing. So that's what we're going to be doing a lot of uh, a lot of this year. We still have some in-person training scheduled later on in the year, but we're going to do a lot of these virtual trainings. So the role that I sort of see for myself really doesn't change. Um, because I still have the same commitments. What's changed a little bit is the vehicle that, that we're going to be taking over the course of the year. And so I kind of think the whole thing has presented an opportunity for all of us to sort of think through what are our commitments. And, you know, we're, we know we're committed to something when circumstances don't change our desired outcome. That's how we know we're committed. If we really, really, really want to go to a restaurant for dinner, but then there's a traffic jam along the way and we decide we don't want to do it, of, of course, that's fine. There's no judgment of that. It just means that we weren't really committed to go into that restaurant. If we were really committed, the traffic jam wasn't going to make any difference. We were just going to go a different way. And it's okay to not be committed to things. It's just if we're going to if we're going to have a conversation from a place of leadership, we just need to be able to recognize that that's what's going on in that situation. So my commitment remains the same. And, and I think that the role that I would like to play, that I get the opportunity to play and that the communities project plays really doesn't shift all that much, frankly, even given this crazy situation we all find ourselves in. Well, so let me let me take a page out of your book, Michael, and ask Alex a, Alex a question over here. Alex, after listening to Michael, what do you hear for yourself in what Michael just said? Commitment. Um, I think a lot of uh, a lot of what you touched on, at least what what was spinning in my head, was that this COVID scenario has um, given people, I think, a really weird opportunity to think very creatively about problem solving and how resourceful people have to be, how committed we actually are to our things. And that's how I think about it is I like solving problems and living in the solution instead of the problem. Mm -hmm. So, you know, doing training in person is going to be way more advantageous than doing them over a Zoom meeting. But I think people still can can absolutely you know, maybe for me personally, but other people who don't like being in crowds aren't as comfortable, you know, speaking up or standing up might actually benefit more from something that's not in person. 
So at the end of the day, it, can, it, it, it really is just totally relevant on the perspective. And um, one question that I kind of had in my head, feel free either of you guys to answer this, is, is do those outcomes that you're desiring change due to the scenario or are they the exact same? You just have to reach them differently. Well, I think that if I, if I may, so two things I want to say. One is, you know, the idea, I, I would always be hesitant. And one thing that I've kind of come to realize for myself to label one training or the other as more advantageous than the other, because we're sort of layering a certain amount of judgment onto, onto either one at that point. We can do this, but it's not as good as this. Well, good, bad, it's something that we talk about a lot in our training. We kind of want to get rid of that language, right? It's not it's good relative. Or bad, it just is. And mm -hmm. uh, so I would argue that I don't think a virtual training is any more or less advantageous than an in-person training. It's just different. And um, you're going to have a different experience when you're sitting looking at folks on Zoom than you will when you're sitting in a room with someone. So one thing that we're really talking to the folks that we get the opportunity to work with about is just the idea that we're not going to tell you know, the this virtual trainings are not, they're not better or worse than anything in person. It's just a different thing. It's a different uh, tool that we're going to add to the repertoire that we want to offer up to folks. I think in terms of the outcomes, you know, the, the outcome that we all, I want to see us save a million lives over the next two decades. And I don't see any reason why we as a, a movement can't do that because we kind of find ourselves in this interesting position where we actually know what works. Right. We know that authentic peer to peer recovery support, like the amazing work that's done at McShin, uh, like we know that that's effective. It's time tested at this point. We know that there are uh, prevention programs that are evidence based that can be effective. We know that different harm reduction approaches can have tremendous degrees of efficacy. We actually know what works. So, why the heck haven't we already said, why aren't these lives already saved? We've already saved some. Why haven't we saved lives in sort of that amount? And the, the thought process that kind of led us to develop the communities project uh, was really the idea that, well, nobody's investing in the people, right? Like nobody's investing in Nathan and Alex and who's talking to you all? Like you all are out doing unbelievable work and the work you do is unbelievable because you invest time into that work. And before you were there, others like John Schinholzer and Carol McDade and Honesty Lillard, they were investing themselves into that work too. Who's investing in you? That's where we sort of come into play is I'm interested in, in you guys and I'm interested in the people themselves on the front line. So we invest in you. It just opens up your capacity to continue investing uh, in those programs and those advocacy efforts. And it just leads to increased levels of your own effectiveness. So I don't think global pandemics or anything else, frankly, is going to alter the commitment and therefore the desired outcome that I have, that the communities project has, or probably that I would assume either one of you has as well in the work that you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And I would, I would actually, I, I like what you said about, you know, not putting a good or bad judgment on any form of training. Um, because what I, what I recognize, of course, for me also, I prefer the in-person training is what I'm used to. But as we're you know, in this space right now, not this physical space, but in this time period right now, we're all being encouraged to learn a new way. And anybody coming into recovery right now is learning from the ground right now at the beginning this way. So a change from that 
you know, will be different to this person over here, to another person. So I like embracing these new tools because it just gives us, well, it gives us more tools mm -hmm. in the toolbox um, to be able to have an effective, learn how to have effective Zoom meetings, um, to be able to connect with individuals all across the country or across the world, mm -hmm. you know, as your project work that you're working on, you know, to be able to effectively communicate and learn to use these tools is really where I see uh, where we're pioneering right now, what we're really getting on, on right now. And I am a person who's very conservative in my thinking um, as far as change goes. So yes, I initially thought, I don't like these Zoom meetings. In person is the way to go. Ah, I'm embracing them slowly but surely and recognizing, even as I'm not always embracing, but recognizing their effectiveness and their potential. Mm -hmm. So I'm grateful um, because one of the things that we've been talking about is where do we go from here? What is the new normal? What does that look like? going forward and and you know obviously we're not gonna be able to answer that you know we can't obviously project three six nine uh 12 months down the road we can however um start making plans for that and adapting and adopting new material a new material new medium and using them so like i can sit here and talk to you like this you know we've had phone calls and now that i actually get to see you you know i actually kind of like the idea of maybe our, our meetings being over zoom next time we meet and you know i can get the little face reactions. I can see if you're actually listening to me when I'm whining and droning on about Jesse or whatever, you know, sorry, Jesse, if you're listening. Um, <laughs> Jesse, I haven't heard him complain about you just to be clear. <laughs> no, I haven't. No, it's usually, it, it's, it's usually myself whining about not being good enough. Um, <laughs> which that's, I love about you. That's, that's accurate. That's the truth. <laughs> <laughs> so I encourage anybody who's listening to, um, you know, to, to, to look at the communities project and see what there might be there for you. Um, some of the things I've learned, especially after the, it's, it's funny. The last time I saw you in person, Michael was March 5th. Right. And that was, um, in DC. And that was a training, uh, at the university club in DC. And this was, we were on the precipice of pandemic, you know, pandemic pandemonia on the horizon, on the precipice of pandemic pandemonia. We're going to do alliteration today here. Um, and we, it was on the horizon. And there were still at that time, there were a bunch of people who didn't show up because of the flu that they thought they had or whatever was going on there. And we didn't know, you know, what was about to happen. So last time I saw you, you know, the world has changed dramatically since then. Um, you have been in this space, recovery space, doing this work for a long time now. But as I know a little bit about your background, I know that you've been doing organizing and field work for a long time prior to getting into recovery. So you want to, could you talk about maybe your background a little bit, what brought you into this and how your skill set made you uniquely qualified to be doing the job that you're doing now? Sure. So I, before getting into recovery, I, um, I worked in the political arena. So I did political campaigns uh, all over the country. Eventually, it's what landed me out here in Washington State, which is where I live. And uh, I, I loved what I did. I felt very passionately about the candidates I worked for and the causes that I did work on. And I uh, eventually, though, for all of us who have been in active addiction, we know kind of it doesn't matter how much we love what we're doing. And you know, our addiction always ends up overpowering it. And that's exactly what happened with me. And I ended up getting into a lot of trouble. Um, I found myself uh, feeding my alcohol and gambling habits through embezzlement, which is what ended up bringing me down in my field. And I, uh, on my third day, I went into treatment. And on my third day of treatment, I walked out into the lobby of the treatment center and I picked up a copy of the Seattle Times. And on the front page above the fold of the local news section was the headline, Senate Democratic Executive Under Investigation. 
And that was particularly troubling to me because I was the Senate Democratic executive who was under investigation. Um, and uh, I ended up having to face the music for the things that I'd done. And when I was nine months into recovery, I went uh, into, uh, I took up uh, a residence at the Washington State Department of Corrections and uh, did some, uh, a brief amount of time as a result of the things that I had done. And it was really when I was incarcerated that the kind of getting involved on this issue as a whole kind of started to, to come to fruition a bit for me in my head because I would walk around these, you know, I'd walk around prison and I'd see all these men that I was locked up with. And I was just blown away because, I mean, 85 to 90% of them were in there for something related to addiction or drugs. I mean, even though many of them were there for armed robbery, you know, when you kind of heard a little bit or talked to them a little bit about their story, well, they were robbing the 7-Eleven because they needed to get some more money to buy meth, right? Or they were almost... Everybody had substance use connected to their crime in some way, shape, or form. And I just sort of started to think to myself, like, God, is there some way that I could take my background in organizing and leadership and connect it to this issue? Because I had, over the nine months that I had been kind of beginning my own recovery journey prior to going into prison, um, I, I just, I, I had developed such a passion for recovery because I, I was feeling alive again for the first time in years, you know? And I definitely had some of those pink cloud early recovery moments where it was like, <laughs> oh, this is what, I have all of this stuff going on in my life right now. I have all this crap going on. And yet I feel joy in this moment. And that was something that I just hadn't experienced in a long time, you know, just genuine emotion. I think I see you guys both nodding, you know, it's like when you, when you, <laughs> Yeah. been through active addiction and then you enter recovery and you really realize like, oh, I have like these things called emotions and feelings that I have not faced in years at this point. And now I'm feeling the good, the bad and everything in between. So anyway, I, I had developed such a passion for recovery and belief in um, in the possibilities of recovery. So when I got out of prison, I, I kind of made a choice. Like I want to figure out how to take that background I had in politics and advocacy and blend it with recovery. Had no idea how to do that. Had never heard of places like McShan or had never heard any of that stuff. And then a couple months after I got out, three people in the same day um, in one of those weird, weird confluences of events that only seems to happen once we get into recovery, it feels like, mentioned or asked me, have you ever seen the film, The Anonymous People? And it was so three different settings, like one was on social media, one was in a text message and one was over the phone. It was really weird, like it was like a movie. So lo and behold, it was on Netflix at the time. So I went and watched The Anonymous People and uh, which was Greg Williams first film. And it, it blew me away. It was like, oh, okay. So there's a whole world out there. And I ended up getting in touch with Greg, to whom I'm eternally grateful because I wouldn't be able to be in this field if it wasn't for him. Um, and it just so happened that um, they were just beginning to plan for uh, this big event in DC uh, that took place in 2015. And I got hired to go work on that big event in Washington, DC. Ended up going to work for that group, Facing Addiction, for several years afterwards. And it was in that position working with Facing Addiction that I, I developed the Communities Project in its initial format. And, and even the, the idea behind the Communities Project of training folks really came from having worked on that rally and getting to meet these unbelievable 
people all over the country because I got to work with folks, basically every state that didn't touch the Atlantic Ocean other than Virginia, because I did work with Virginia, which is how I first met John and, and the folks at McShin. Um, I, I got a chance to meet so many people and I got I just started to feel like these folks have these amazing programs, but who is investing in these folks? It kind of all started to come from that. And then I went through a leadership development track of my own uh, over the course of that time. And I walked into this leadership development program kind of thinking, oh, it's a networking opportunity. I'm not really, I'm a leader already. I know what I'm doing, of course, blah, 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 blah. And I walked in and this curriculum um, and the, the gentleman who runs it just floored me. It, it completely changed my life. It changed my perspective on leadership and the leadership curriculum that we now present for the communities project is very heavily influenced by some of the things that I learned in that program and that I've had the opportunity to put to practice and have gotten to kind of see the results they can produce. So that was a long winded answer to uh, coming around to how we all get here today. So I get, and I get the pleasure to work with guys like Nathan. Right? I mean, that's like the joy of my day. I, I've had nine calls in the last 12 hours or last 24 hours with uh, like the ones you and I do every month, uh, Nathan. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's awesome. I mean, who? I got the best job in the field. I like to brag about it. <laughs> I, I, I also love my job too. I say I have the best job, but, but uh, yeah, we, 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 we do get to do some really cool things, you know, right. and we get to be passionate. And what I love, you know, is that you, you are a trainer of advocates, you know, you train people. And so, so some of the people, you know, I've been in this position, my physical position, I've been in other positions where I've been training people to do a job um, where they might go out and do, you know, issues that I may not have any idea on or issues that, uh, what am I trying to ask you? What I'm trying to ask you is this, as you've been in recovery and you've been working with, you know, and, and as I, you know, use your language, you know, speaking to the leaders in others, which I love, I love that idea of empowering others to be leaders. You know, you've, um, encountered a lot of people. What have you learned in your own personal recovery, but as far as your advocacy recovery work, what have you learned and gained and where has your perspective shifted and what issues are for first and foremost for Michael King mm. and the cat behind you? And the cat behind me, yeah, that's either Izzy, no, that's Snowflake, because Izzy, the other cats over here, I have two of them appropriately named by my kids. Um, <laughs> yeah, joys of recovery, um, mm. cats, cats and children. You know, I think the, the biggest thing, the biggest lesson that I have, I don't know if it's that it's a, a one that has been learned, but it's one that is like continuously reiterated in my life is that, you know, when I do things on my own, when I try to do anything on my own, I'm limited in how much I can do. But if I'm investing in everybody around me, I'm limitless in what, uh, what I can accomplish and what we can accomplish together. Right. And when I'm speaking to people, not as, um, you know, uh, someone to whom you can delegate a task or anything. But when I'm speaking to people as leader, what I'm really doing is I'm speaking to them as a partner. And there is no more powerful way to empower somebody than to speak to them as partner, because who among us don't, doesn't want to be treated as a partner in things? And likewise, who among us wants to be the person who you just kind of bark orders at? Uh, mm -hmm. Something that comes up in a, a lot of my trainings that we do, I know it came up a bunch in DC because I always remember that day, uh, was that 
you know, we don't ever actually really get people to do things that they don't want to do. And if, if our objective is that we want to get the people around us to do stuff because it's important to us, it, it can work to a certain extent, but it's always the, the, the extent of that effectiveness is always going to be capped. But if I can just stay interested in you, and I think, you know, leaders are more interested in what you want for yourself than what I want for you. And if I can maintain that interest in you, um, that's where we can start to have a conversation that really comes from a place of empowerment. If I just go to Nathan and say, hey, Nathan, these are all the things I want to do. Do you want to help me do them? Then I'm just the central character in that conversation. And it sure feels good to be the central character sometimes, but it's just not really all that effective. But if we sit down and I say, Nathan, what are you wanting to accomplish here? How do you think you can get there? What, what do you think is blocking you from getting there? That's a conversation about Nathan. And that actually can contribute to your effectiveness, Nathan, because I'm making that about you. It's not about me. And ideally, I want to see Virginia pass every great law under the sun about substance use. So I'm getting something out of it, too, because I want to see that happen in Virginia and every other state. But I'm actually making the argument from a point of view from what of what you want to do and what you want to accomplish. So that's the lesson that continuously gets reiterated to me is it's not about if, if I make it about me, I'm limited. If I make it about you, I'm limitless. And if I make things about you, I'm actually making a contribution towards you as opposed to fighting for something that I may want for myself, which is fine to do, but it's not really empowering. You know, it's like the idea of giving tech, I'm not a big fan of the idea or the phrase technical assistance, because I, I just think that technical assistance is a clever way to say disempowering advice giver. And I always tell folks like, let's be careful about giving advice. Like we don't need to give so much advice. People already 99% of the time, people have the answers inside of them. And I'm interested in, in getting folks to a point where they can answer questions for themselves rather than them seeking me advice. And I think Nathan, you probably say, I really, when people ask me what they should do in a situation, I, I almost never tell them what I think they should do because that's about me. That's not actually about them. <laughs> and 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 I just sent you some questions earlier today, so I'm eager to to get some uh, uh, thoughts on that or help me develop my thoughts. And and I think the word I used was embryonic, so I keep that in mind. That was these are embryonic, I did, but <laughs> yes, that's the, that was that, that was a very good use of the word embryonic. Actually, that's the only reason I told you about it. I was impressed by the use of embryonic. <laughs> well, I, I try to throw in a couple of good words, so it kind of. Uh, you know, validates the rest of the crap that's in there. Oh, see, that's negative speak, isn't it? Yeah, don't. Uh, 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 you want some coaching right here on the damn podcast here, Nathan? Let's do it. Coach away, bro. Coach away. Uh, <laughs> well, the, you know, some, was, it's actually, it's funny because this has come up a lot in the last couple of days worth of conversations I've had with folks. Is this like, I've had like the same conversation with a ton of folks where it's sort of been like, um, oh, I'm just feeling so down and I'm so feeling so crappy and I know I just have to snap out of it. And I keep saying to folks, so hold on a second, you're telling me that you're feeling kind of dejected because you're stuck in your house in a pandemic and you're not able to connect with human beings. Um, God, it's really weird that you just feel crappy about that. I can't believe that. Stop, of course you feel, why the hell are you judging? Uh, we all feel weird. This is a weird, weird time. How about just honoring the fact that it's weird, right? <laughs> if you were completely fine with this situation, that would be weird to me. 
as opposed to kind of feeling uncomfortable, you know? So just like be interested in being uncomfortable. There's something to that. Stay with, stay with that, right? Stop trying to, stop trying to fix yourself. Nobody needs fixing. What what did you say? None of us are broken, right? We're not broken. None of us are broken. Mm. Um, Kelly has a question for us up here. And, and I actually, I want to, take a shot at starting an answer for this. Um, Kelly asks, how do you think you, I'm sorry, I can't read it, Todd. Um, How do you think, thank you. How do you, how do you think you make an advocate of someone that has not been personally touched by addiction? Um, Well, I like something that we did in the last training uh, on March 5th. I keep going back to that date because because it was it's so etched in my brain um we talked about our stories and we talked about um and essentially it, it sounded a lot like what we do in 12 steps you know what happened mm-hmm. um you know and, and or what it was like what happened and what it's like now and you know we i took that model and i actually did a couple groups after that based on that model and we talked about building our stories you know talking through our stories you know here at mcshin in the group setting with our participants so you know, I think putting together a story and how it relates to addiction, you know, my story, my personal, maybe I'm not answering this very well. How would you answer this, Michael? You're the guest. <laughs> well, how do you make an advocate out of somebody who doesn't, isn't personally touched by addiction? Um, well, so I think uh, if someone were to come to me in that situation, I think that the first thing that I would probably ask them is, really you've never been touched by addiction at all. And I think what you would probably come to realize is that they probably are. Um, and, and frankly, I, I always have argued, you know, if, if you pay taxes, you're touched by addiction because we <laughs> you know, still spend our federal t- and state tax dollars in a horrible way. And we spend it completely inefficiently when it comes to whether we're addressing recovery supports versus, you know, something like, what's the number? Something like 98% of the money we spend on addiction goes towards cleaning up the mess it creates and not towards education, recovery, support, prevention, treatment, recovery. So I don't know if I buy anybody isn't completely touched by addiction. But again, where I would start is I'm not going to make anything out of anybody, right? I would want to ask that person what they're interested in. I would want to be interested in them. Um, Because if they don't want to be an advocate about addiction, they're not going to become an advocate about addiction. That's me just wanting something for them. So Kelly, I think the, the, the question is, what do they want for themselves? So that would be where I would start that conversation is to try to figure out what are they interested in? What do they want for themselves in this? If they say, oh, well, I, you know, I want to see fewer people suffering, then I would just stay with them, right? We don't need to, uh, people have the answers to most of their questions. If we just stay with them and stay interested in them, um, we don't have to make anybody into anything right? We can empower people to become what they already naturally are. And that's a huge kind of driving philosophy of the communities project is the idea that, you know, we're not out to create leaders. That's not what we do. The uh, tools you need to be an effective leader are already within you. The question is, why aren't you accessing them? What's blocking you from accessing those tools? And the principles we train folks on in terms of leadership or advocacy uh, are not you know, built or designed to make you a leader when you're not one. They're built and designed to help you bust out of the cage that um, 
Sometimes we create for ourselves. Sometimes we're nurtured into that cage. Uh, that's what leadership development really is. So I hope that kind of answers you, Kelly. I know it's it's not the silver bullet, but be interested in that person. Figure out what they want to do. Good stuff. Good stuff. So how are you doing over here? I'm spinning a little bit. You're spinning a little bit. Yeah. Uh, in, in in kind of a good way. I'm 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 just feeling pretty pensive right now because um I don't know like I have a hard time figuring out what I want to do. I'm I'm the type of person that wants to you know do a podcast on Mondays, advocate on Tuesdays, and work in a rest own a restaurant on Fridays. Like I like I I want my cake and I want to eat it when I want to want like when I want it. And I have a hard time <laughs> determining even when I write it down on a piece of paper what it is I want. And then when I do, it turns into a hundred different things. So how do you synthesize which things that I actually want and which things I want to want? Mm. <laughs> well, that's a good question. How do you synthesize what you want and what you want to want? Well, what's exactly. <laughs> I love you too, honesty. I see honesty in the chat. Um, uh, I'm gonna give a shout out, shout out to- uh, that, that doesn't even have to be a serious question. It's kind of just like how I'm thinking right now. We'll say more about that. Can you get, can you give me an example of a time that you're? Can you give me an example of something where you're not sure if you want it or if you just want to want it? When I first came into recovery, I was straight out of jail and I didn't want to get clean, but I wanted to want to get clean. Mm -hmm. And, and so, it kind of the only thing that fixed that was time. Okay. Really, was time and immersion in recovery. So time, so time helped you differentiate between those two things. Yeah, I think. I mean. Yeah, I, I would probably say that after, you know, two or three weeks, I saw other things happening around me and thought, okay, maybe I actually do want to try to get clean instead of just, I'm a generally pretty positive person. So even if I don't want to do something, I'll do it enthusiastically. So then I can kind of like trick myself. Right. So you weren't sure if you wanted recovery, you gave it some time and let the world unravel around you and eventually realized that you really did want recovery. It was more than just wanting to want it. Did I hear that right? So tell me what the answer is. Um, I, think it, uh, I, I think it's time and patience and actively looking for an answer. Time, patience, think, actively looking. And how about the idea of just being present to everything that's happening in front of you? Yeah, that's that's what usually works for me is when I'm not living in the future or the past, I can actually like feel more alive in the present and think about what happens before it happens instead of just fantasizing about certain things of like, oh, what happens if I don't want it? What happens if I do want it? And actually, you know, I, I'm, I'm really good about writing things out too, kind of like my thoughts, like stream of consciousness type type stuff. And that helps me really articulate exactly how I'm feeling or maybe how I'm not feeling. Cause I can read what I'm writing and I'm like, Oh, this is bullshit. <laughs> uh, well, there's also just remember something that a mentor of mine always says, and I've totally stolen from him because I just, it really lands. I think is the idea that like there's wisdom in our feelings. And sometimes we kind of approach leadership or organizing or advocacy. And we think, well, my, I need to put my feelings aside so that I can do the job. And we can't ever, like, we don't ever actually do that. Like, we have to actually be present with our feelings. And he would say, and I've, I've you know, I always say now too, that like there's, our, our emotions are really just wisdom advisors. So what's the wisdom in what I'm feeling right now? And it kind of ties into that comment that I made before. I keep hearing from folks, oh, I'm feeling so glum. I really need to change my attitude about 
COVID-19 and being stuck in my house. And it's like, wait a minute, stop. Why would you like, you're just glum about it because it's pretty glum. So stop trying to change how you feel, right? But if you, Alex, are, are able to be present, right? The answer to, was this something you wanted or is it just something you wanted to want? You actually, you figured that out for yourself. So if you have a list of things and you're not sure if you want them, first off, you probably don't want them yet, right? It's kind of like when you want to go out with somebody, you think you want to go out with somebody, but then you keep missing the time you said you were going to call them. Like you probably don't actually, you're probably not actually committed in that situation if you keep missing the call, sure. right? Um, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that as long as we can be present with that. But the idea that I'm not committed, right? So just be present with where you are. And it seems to me like you've actually done this before and you've answered this question before. So why the hell are you asking me? You got the answer. <laughs> and, and Michael, you just cleared up my entire dating life right there too. Thank you. <laughs> God, don't, Nobody's don't start with me there. That's, that's, whole, that, that's the After Hours podcast. We're talking about after, after Hours. Yeah. Um, so, 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 sober dating, sober, sober single dating in your late 30s. Oh, God. Well, I'm 44 in a few weeks. So, <laughs> um, we'll start yeah. a club, brother. We'll start a club, right? Yeah. And how old are you? 27. Oh, yeah, yeah. This kid over here. Yeah. <laughs> so, as far as what you've got going on, Michael, and I really I love this little coaching that's going on here, um, he needs you. And I, I encourage, if possible, that we can maybe set up sessions with you as a as a as an outside force, if 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 that's something either of you desires or or can do, um, because uh, I, I know that he would benefit from um, some outside voices maybe penetrating that uh, that that mind of his into his mind. Um, <laughs> well, that's not. So I want to be clear that that's not what I do, right? It's, somebody asked. <laughs> Somebody, well, it's funny. Uh, somebody actually, uh, an, an ex of mine actually asked me one time, they said, uh, aren't you just, I, I feel like you're just, you're you're analyzing everything uh, somebody's saying when you're asking them all these questions. And I, I actually said, it's actually exactly the opposite. Like there's no one out there. It's, like, it's, it's not, it's exactly the opposite of analyzing, right? Because if I'm busy trying to like process what Alex or anybody else is saying, um, I'm not actually present with Alex, right? I'm just reflecting back what I hear from folks, you know? So it's just, it's really about kind of the practice of really being present with others and just listening to everything they're saying and just really leading from this place of listening. Um, but there's actually no analysis. So Alex, there's no brain penetration that happens here, right? I'm just interested in you and you don't need me and nobody else needs me either. So I don't need it anymore. I'd love to talk. If you want to talk, I would love to talk. No, absolutely. It's it's definitely like I love pushing brain. I, I just love thinking and puzzles and critical thinking and stuff like that. And so when I can meet someone who's actually like works my perspective, it makes me, you know, pushing creative boundaries. I'm all about obstacles and trying to overcome them and thinking differently at the end of the day. Like perspective and observancy is like two of the coolest things in the world to me mm -hmm. is being able to actually think, wow, I've never thought that way before. Yeah. 
And what I've seen in in Alex, um, as far as growing into a position here at McShin, since coming into the McShin Foundation as a participant in our intensive house, um, grew to be the house leader at the intensive house, and then moved on to be the house leader of one of our step-up houses, and now is here in the building full-time and taking on some outreach uh, roles as well as other duties here, um, I've already started to see you empowering others to do things as well. Like already you were talking about developing uh, a plan to uh, of action for other people to get more things lit up for this International mm -hmm. Recovery Day. You've taken on a role as a, um, as a host for the, you know, for the Get in the Herd after hours you know you've you've you said exactly i like the echo you know but you, you're so like what i like is that you know here you know i've i've spoken you know many of us here in the building have spoken to the leader in alex and now alex is learning i see you know to speak to the leaders and others as a house leader as a person mm -hmm. you know in recovery working in um some outreach and i i, I love that that branching out the, the, the tentacles going out so um I'm encouraged by this. I'm encouraged by this meeting. I like this. And so that leads me to the question. So what are you doing now that we're not meeting in person? Uh, you mentioned a little bit about trainings going forward later in the year, but we don't quite have a date and stuff like that. Are you doing the webinars? Are you providing, obviously you're doing the coaching. How are you, um, how are you and uh, uh, um, Laszlo uh, working right now? What are you doing? What are you working on? How's it going? So, so yes to the webinar, you know, we do usually about monthly webinars, which kind of, we take like little pieces of our training and kind of just focus on that specific topic for a little bit of time, lots of coaching going on. And then, yeah, we, we have been in the process over the last month or so uh, when it really became clear that in-person was going to be really tough this year um, to develop a virtual module for the training. And we are actually doing uh, two almost like uh, dress rehearsals of it because it's an entirely new format, certainly for me as a trainer. So we wanted to do it a couple times to really get it right and get the technical side of it right and, and to really figure out how to like utilize Zoom to the best of our ability. And then in the next two to three weeks, we'll be rolling out a ton of um, dates for folks that they can register to do virtual trainings with us um, online starting probably about mid-June. I want to say our tentative somewhere around mid-June. I don't have the date off the top of my head. So folks who follow us online are gonna be able to join, register. We're probably gonna to have to cap how many folks we have registered at each one just to keep the time and the, the group a little bit manageable in that setting. But we're gonna be, I mean, it's not, we're not gonna be doing like one a week, but almost one a week through the rest okay. of the year starting in June. So anybody who wants to sign up and, and be part of one of our virtual trainings that we'll start to do on leadership, and we'll do a handful of them on organizing as well, we'll have the opportunity to do that. So we've been really working to like build that new format. Um, and it's taken a lot of time because we've really been trying, we've really tried to be very, very intentional about it. And we really wanna make that training something special, something kind of really cool and special that folks get to be part of. So it's been time consuming, but I think I'm, I'm very happy with the product that we've been producing. And I think it's gonna be great and beneficial for others too. Excellent, thank you. Um, any questions, my friend? When are you free next? <laughs> <laughs> shoot me an email we'll find some time and that's for anybody who listens and wants to get in touch i'd love to talk to anybody it's just michael m-i-c-h-a-e-l at communitiesproject.org and our website is communitiesproject.org and check us out we want to hear from you um you know we're interested in you that's that's where our 
interest lies. What are you doing to move your community forward? What types of results are you producing? And if you're feeling stuck, let's talk about that. Todd, it's communities. Todd. Sorry, I thought it was too late. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, org. Yeah, that was the clarification at the very beginning before we went live because I'm like, I, I knew I was going to stumble over that. I did it anyway. Um, and I, I love the look of your uh, logo with the, I love the look of your logo. Um, it's, it's simple. It's, it's clean. And I like that. It, it makes me, it, it's simple and clean. That's, I'll just leave it at that. If I may, I, I have a shameless plug then, and that's for a young, man, a young man named Sean O'Donnell, who actually works with Foundation for Recovery out of Nevada. Sean, uh, Sean O'Donnell designed our website and our logo, and he's like an incredibly talented guy. So anybody who wants to work with a great designer, Sean O'Donnell, email me and I'll put you in touch with him. I'm a big Sean fan. Shameless plug. Shameless plug. All right. Mm -hmm. Any other shameless plugs you want to put in here right now? Uh, yeah, let's all stay present with where we are and just, uh, look, we're all feeling what we're feeling right now and just, it's okay. Nobody's doing anything wrong. Uh, just remember that for everybody for yourselves. Cause it's, it's, these are interesting times and we all can renew our commitments. Just remember that. Excellent. Thank you, Michael, uh, Michael King with the communities project. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, my final question for you. And I think you probably already know what I'm going to ask, but I'm going to ask anyway. Um, what are you grateful for today? I'm grateful for the opportunity to have these just unbelievable friends that I've made all over the country that do tremendous work. It's just amazing. If you told me seven years ago that my life would look like it does today, I would have told you you were out of your mind. <laughs> I like that. I like that. And I hope, I hope what I hear from me on that is that I hope in seven years from now that I can say the same thing. Um, looking back, you know, if you told me I'm doing this in seven years, I, I, you'd tell you you're out of your mind. I, I like that because I like being challenged that way. So, and I, I'm pretty happy now. I'd like to be, you know, where seven years from now, who knows? Seven years from now, I'll be, uh, I'll just be ready to admit that I'm 35. So, yep. uh, except I'll be almost 50. <laughs> I should be over I'll 50. Practically be 35. I'll be then. over 50 in five in seven years. Holy crap! Um, anyway, what are you grateful for today, young man? I made this about me. <laughs> hmm. I'm grateful to be here. I'm yeah. grateful for another day clean. I'm grateful it's like 80 degrees outside. I'm grateful that this has been probably one of the smoothest weeks I've had in months. I haven't Ooh. had. A lot of stress or anything like that because that's that's a huge thing for me is getting stressed out easily so yeah i'm grateful that i haven't had to like i don't know snap at anyone mm. or that i've dealt with it well good stuff todd sir i'm grateful that today is my daughter's 12th birthday <laughs> Thank you. I'm I'm also grateful that we're halfway through the run of five kids' birthdays, like right <laughs> in a row. So you know, now we've just got you know Molly and we've got Wait, Emma yet. So you got so, all the birthdays clustered together. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's April and then two in May, and then we have one in June and then one in August. So you know, so it's a it's a whole bank breaking run that we have to. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the question. You know the inevitable question there, right? What was going on nine months ago that was so exciting? Well, no, it was more than nine months ago. <laughs> well, I know, but nine, <laughs> I, I know, but 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 that repetitive. Right. <laughs> All right. I'm just five, six. So, but yeah, no. What's that? 
They said, keep coming back. <laughs> right, 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 right. So, no, I just, you know, we get to spend some time with her tonight, and she's really excited. We, you know, we did some stuff for her this morning, and now this evening after I get out of here, you know, up until the show tonight, we'll actually be, you know, doing some stuff with uh, with her. So, we do have a show tonight. Okay. So, um, we have uh, on... Uh, get in the Herd after, after hours. hours. Uh, we have Alex... <laughs> And Frank, they're going to be with Dixie Lewis, uh, Mary Page or Mary, Mary Ellen Villa, Vigilist, and Morris Baton. Oh, very so, good. Okay, nice. yeah, good so, show. Full squad. And, and tomorrow, tomorrow is John with Melissa McCarthy, and um, it's also Carol McDade. So, Excellent. Yeah, but, I don't know, Michael, if you've ever seen our show or, or not, but I uh, had Carol on the show yesterday. That was an excellent episode. Excellent. An hour and a half. We we went long on that one, but it was a good talk. Um, I, gotta, then I, had, I gotta check that out. Yeah. And the and the internet's normally really reliable. So today is probably <laughs> the first we've had this technical issue like this. So thank you as well. I'm grateful that you didn't just give up and exit out of it. You carried it on because I was monitoring it while it was trying to re reload here. So you know, I'm also grateful for that. So oh, that but, <laughs> well that's awesome, you guys. Well, thank you. Thank you to everybody who's out there watching and or listening. Um, as you know, this will be converted into a podcast. It will be put out through, I think, nine different platforms. 85 cents. 80, we, we're, we've monetized we this. We've made yesterday. 85 cents so far. So we're, we're getting there. You made a dime in 24 hours. That's good. <laughs> right through the CPM sponsorship. But check us out on Spotify. Check us out on Google Podcasts. Check us out on Apple Podcasts. Check us out wherever your favorite podcasts are found. And again, I'm Nathan. Have a great weekend, everybody. And we will see you next time. Thank you for getting great in to the meet you, Michael. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Guys, take care.